After failing to make an impression with Marvel Knights, Starlink Stories, The Max Imprint, and the Marvel 616, Zimmerman is thrust into the midst of Marvel's notorious You Decide event with his first and only entry into the Ultimate Universe, with Ultimate Adventures numbers 1 through 6, featuring characters that would also be making their first and only appearances in the Ultimate Universe. What was Joe Quesada thinking? Could it be that he was hoping Bendis and Millar's good writing would rub off on old Ronnie? Or was he merely sacrificing one of his worst writers so Peter David would stop bullying him in public? The answer, dear listeners, I'll leave for you to decide on this week's... Oh, God, it burns. All right, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to... Oh, God, God it burns. burns! My name's Nick. My name's Bruno. And uh, I apologize off the get-go if we sound like we're super tired, if it sounds like we've been holed up in a room with no daylight for uh, a long time. Uh, just a little background. It's probably two months out from Hurricane Dorian. We're currently going through it right now. Actually, it still hasn't hit. No, no, we're still in the prep stages. So in a few days, we'll be locked in rooms without light. Actually, mine is already boarded up because this son of a bitch was supposed to be here this afternoon. <laughs> and this is the slowest-moving storm I've ever experienced. See, I don't have a problem with that because it's moving at my pace. Because <laughs> I put stuff up on my windows. So it's like it's waiting for me to do that. So I'm okay with You're this. that guy that goes in later and you're like, I'm just going to get tape, which is the worst thing to do. Don't tape your windows. And they're yeah. like, we don't have tape. And you're like, well, I tried. See, <laughs> you're just going to go home and leave. First off, you're wrong because I always have tape. My dad was a mover. Oh. Secondly, no, we use blankets. We just tape up the blankets against the wall. Nice little tip, so that way if glass goes through, it just catches it, and you're fine. Mm-hmm. We have those thick moving blankets. But, yeah, I honestly, apparently people have a lot to live for. Not so much. <laughs> yeah, I've, got, I've got a big comics collection that I need to, to make sure I get unlocked. Like, any other office, any other place in this house could be blown away, but if my office gets touched in any way, I will freak the hell out. None of the places where I have comic books have windows. <laughs> Your bathroom? <laughs> no, actually. Is it just underneath? <laughs> no, no. Like, they're actually in this huge cabinet in my garage that, like, it'll have to get through a bunch of stuff before it gets there. Really? If anything, I'll All get, right. it'll be buried and I'll have to dig. So it's like my own version of a treasure hunt. But that's about See, it. See, I thought you were talking about the old bathroom filing system where you got it under the sink and God forbid it leaks and you're like, motherfucker! <laughs> I know, goes I, everything. I learned that mistake back. Yeah. Now, so never again. So anyway, Hurricane Dorian taking its sweet ass time. We're supposed to get here this afternoon. Uh, this is Monday that we're recording. September 2nd. Uh, you won't see this for another two months. So maybe you'll even only forget what Dorian is. But Monday, September 2nd. It was supposed to be here this afternoon or this night. And now... It's not even projected to be here till like Wednesday afternoon, so a couple big tragedies happened. I uh, prepped a lot of food that I'm currently in the middle of eating all of, so I had to go back and buy more food. And the next tragedy was I was stuck inside all day reading fucking Ultimate Adventure yes. <laughs> by Ron Zimmerman to close out Ron Zimmerman. Nice segue there. <laughs> Admittedly, that's definitely the worst of the two. Yeah. I can always buy and cook more food. I can never go back and make this worthwhile read for me. No. I don't think anyone can make it a worthwhile run. And it was it was weird, too, because I remember I was talking to you. I can't remember if we actually recorded this, but I was just like, I'm looking forward to Ultimate Adventures. I remember like going through it when I was younger, 
and really enjoying it. Those rose-colored glasses of youth. I don't think I read anything of it, though. Like, those rose-colored glasses, they just blocked off anything that was inside a word balloon or a text box. pictures. Admittedly, the artwork is really nice. The covers are kind of... This is Carr Andrews. Back when he first started, he did a... When he came over to Marvel, he started off on uh, Amazing Spider-Man doing some um, covers post, like... Uh, Aunt May figuring out that he was Spider-Man. He was the guy that did those covers, and he did a really good job at it, and he had these painted stuff, and he did a, what was it, a Tangled Web number seven or eight, where he did Electro see, Story, see, that and looks... then he's got these, and he shows off a couple different styles. I really do like his stuff, I, I mean, and this is all him, too, so you can see the different things that he's putting into it. There's some more cartoonish, there's some more uh, photorealistic, and the last one right here looks more like it's like a... Um, God, I can't. I'm blanking on who whose style it is, but he did like a run on, like Midnighter. Yeah, I see. From what I remember, because the cover that you have, just remind me when I first saw the issue, and I'm like, this kind of looks like a Batman comic book. I remember this back in the day on those old little turn stands at my uh, local comic shop, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I, at first I picked it up because you know how the stands are. You can't yeah. see that the Marvel is at the very mm-hmm. bottom of the page. So mm-hmm. I saw Ultimate Adventures, and I'm like, is DC biting on Marvel? What's going on? And then I picked it up, and I'm like, oh, it is Marvel. No, it's Marvel biting on DC. And then I'm like, is Marvel biting on DC? And I remember like you flipping through it and being like, the artwork was really cool. Because back in the day, my thing was like the drawing. Like If it had yeah. some really good drawings that I could you know, use in my artwork, then it, it was a, a sale. But I didn't remember reading it, and now I know why. I probably blocked it out. <laughs> I did the same thing. <laughs> and here's the thing. like We're, we're just going to go ahead and say our golden kernel off this jump because it's not even a contest what this was going to be. It is the artwork. And if we're talking about how like it is drawn and how well it fits in the Ultimate Universe and everything, the only thing that really lends it continuity to this, first of all, Duncan Forgetto's art is great. But Paul Mounts does such a good job coloring this because it looks like it is a true companion book to the Ultimates. I will give you one thing. If Marvel made enough sad storyline, like instead of just one-shot issues and made this whole thing enough sad, it would probably be a slightly better read. Mm-hmm. If there was... If this little kid didn't open his fucking mouth once in this series... Here's the thing. He wasn't... He was, There was nothing redeeming about him, but he wasn't even the character that annoyed me the most. Like, he's just the tip of the iceberg... But he's the tip of the iceberg that ran through all six issues and never shut up in anything that he was in. He's the guy that said so much, landed so many horrible jokes, that each 22-page issue felt like I was reading a 40-page like snuff film. Now, here's the problem with that. Having read this now, I realized... I, previously, I thought DC held the candle to this. Now I kind of realized because they're biting on DC, this is one of the first times where you have someone who writes a kid that has no concept of what it means to write for a kid. Because there's there's a, definitely a finite line in comic books between the golden days of wards where that was a regular thing. Yeah. Like rich people could be like, I'll adopt that kid and nobody asked questions. <laughs> Why a grown man would want a kid. No one asked. And mm-hmm. all the, you know, boy wonders and their bright eyed sidekicks. And nobody thought twice about, like, a kid, for some reason, wearing a more revealing costume, jumping into danger was perfectly okay for yep. superheroes. And, uh, spoiler alert, the guy who adopts him out totally knows this is going to happen. <laughs> because he adopted the hero out. Yes. <laughs> like a hawk owl. But so, I love the fact that you brought up, like, they don't have any concept of writing a kid. Because I felt like if this was more, like, drawn as Mickey Rooney... 
it would have been I, I, I mean, <laughs> a little better. Not, not for nothing, but the kid actually acted like a like he should have he should have had a cigar in his mouth at all times. He like, should it should have been in like grumpy old men like the sequel. Like yeah. that's that's how they write it because it went from writing these bushy eyed kids and like kids aren't that positive and then like doubling down and it's just like everything out of this kid's mouth is sass but not like a way a kid would talk but just more like just disrespectful like instead yeah. instead of capturing a kid with attitude they captured just a just jerk. an old man just like talking. an old man being a jerk and, and it's at like, a deli counter the only thing that he did that actually was kind of youthful was like when people used old-time lingo he's like oh god did you really just say golly gee like oh, that's g willikers that's huh. literally the only thing that they got was like the snarkiness of like a kid but everything else was just written from the point of view of a jaded old man you know what and it's awful have you ever seen uh, Martin Short in Clifford? Yes. I feel like this is the exact opposite of that, whereas before it was written like it was a kid in Clifford, but you had to stare at Martin Short's like 45, 50-year-old ass yeah. the whole time, and you're like, what is this? Is he supposed to be a kid? Are we just not in on this? Whereas I'm reading this, I read stuff that should have been in the mouth of a 55-year-old comedian, but it's portrayed like a little street urchin kid that's doing this. So this is like bizarre world Clifford. I mean, the way they did it is kind of just reminds me of, like, when they tried to reboot Shazam the first time in New 52, and they wrote him out, like, the snottiest. This is supposed to be the kid that is so pure of heart that he can be the champion of magic, Mm -hmm. and instead, everything out of his mouth just makes you want to punch him in the face. And his only redeeming quality is that he writes checks that he can't cash Mm -hmm. and jumps into battle. And then they wrote him a little bit better when they right before the movie came out with the new series which i highly recommend um where they actually gave them layers but this definitely was one of the starts of like can't write kids to save your life and if yeah. the whole thing is basically taking place from the point of view of the kid you really should ne- capture your central narrative. but the fact that this is taking place in the ultimate universe where bendis is killing it on writing kids and then we see this well in all fairness. There's a comparison to be here. There's no all fairness. Like, if you're going to put this in the ultimate line at a time where they're being super precious with what they put in the ultimate line, it just does not hold up. I was going to say, least. in all fairness, they probably at no point in their lives had Zimmerman and Bendis in the same room. Just because you might tame Bendis, yeah. who was on the biggest hot streak, which I will get to later. Yeah. So, yeah. They probably Zimmerman probably never so much saw Bendis' desk, let alone had a conversation with Bendis, just for fear that he might taint him with one of his bad writing. <laughs> I would definitely keep it that way. We did I've a whole been cursed st- by Zimmerman. We did a whole month on Zimmerman, and this is a- he is literally the second worst person that I know named Zimmerman. <laughs> and the first one shot somebody. <laughs> that was wasn't it? George oh, it was Zimmer. Zimmer. I, I was George thinking Zimmerman. Zimmerman. Zimmern's the guy that eats all the bizarre foods. He's the third worst. <laughs> He's the third worst in the Zimmers. But, but yeah, this is—it's just bad writing galore. We did a whole month on this, and this honestly felt like thank God we kept it last because I couldn't stand. If you give me one more thing that he writes, I I might have to be like no. I'm done. See, I, I tapped out during Sweet Charity, and then having this follow-up Sweet Charity, I'm like, oh, God. Well, here's the thing. With Jesus. this, it shows that there was no redemption. Like, the stuff that I liked were clearly flukes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, All right. before we get into the story, I do want to uh, make a quick note uh, that was very interesting to me, is that this actually started off with the original Ultimates cardboard covers. I don't know if you read it digitally or not, but this is the original Ultimates card. You can hear it. 
It's kind of flopping down there. Oh, they, wow. they started off on like thick cardstock covers, and it kind of like when I opened this up, it was like instant nostalgia. I'm like, ooh. But when I looked at the crease, I'm like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> this fucker's gonna fall off if I open it up like three more times. <laughs> and then it made the uh, the switch to the more plastic floppy cover yeah. that like sounds like it's sheet metal. That has like a, a really nice gloss to it. And uh, really the interesting things in there, except for in issue number two, did, did you read, uh, when you got the digital version, did no. you see our window into future, oh god it burns, or uh, Chuck Austin's uh, Uncanny X-Men run? Yes. Oh, that was cool. That <laughs> gave me goosebumps. I can't wait till we cover that one. So uh, without further ado, we covered all the interesting things about this. We had good art. We had the covers. We had uh, okay. Car Andrews doing the cover. We had the fact that we got a sneak peek into uh, Oh God Burns future Hall of Famer Chuck Austin. And now let's go ahead and skin this turd turkey. May I point out, you know it's bad when he had to discuss the... Chuck Austin is a positive point? Well, not only that, but the dexterity of the first page is <laughs> a positive point. When you get to the point that you're talking about what it's actually made of versus what goes into uh, it, you know that you've reached the turducken of crap. It is. This is this is bad. So uh, go ahead, Bruno. Can you try and give us a quick summary of oh. what this is about? Okay. George Zimmerman tried to write Batman and failed. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Haiku. Short and sweet. <laughs> Put a pen in it. It's Japanese literature. Oh, all right. There's so much wrong with this. So to give you an actual quick review, um, this does take place in the Ultimates universe, and we will discuss <clears throat> how it ties into it shortly because there is a crossover point. Um, but essentially, we're introduced to this kid that you're just going to hate for six issues. And he's in an orphanage, and he only does one redeeming thing, and you kind of already can tell where it's going. But uh, he's too old, hasn't been adopted yet, um, kind of looks out for the other kids, but is a jerk to everyone else. Mm-hmm. And in comes this rich dude after the the orphanage is broken into, and a superhero saves a day. In comes through, you know, no surprise of its own, and just as random as nobody would ever figure the two out. In comes this rich dude out of nowhere and adopts the one kid that nobody will adopt. And the one thing that they did do that was kind of a cool thing was they didn't immediately be like, I'm going to groom him to be my sidekick. It was just kind of like, this kid deserves a break. And eventually, like, the goal was there. But, um, so this kid, despite having all of this stuff, has no security system. This kid stumbles upon his secret thing. Actually, he... he the, the kid doesn't have anything except for that he's a kick-ass acrobat. Yeah. If actually, in the first issue, like, the father's running around. Not, not the father. The priest. The priest father. Yeah. If you're not Catholic, you probably don't understand what that is. The guy's name is Father Joe because he's a Father priest. Joe because he's a priest. And then, like, in the first issue, like, Hank disappears, but he's perched atop the church just looking out. There's no window that could have got him up there. No, he's just, like... He just loves to... Climb stuff. Just climb stuff. And he's... Great, and this, he's sneaky as hell. And because our hero goes by the name of Night Owl, um, I thought it was really dumb too. Where he took, like, our Hawk Owl. Sorry, not not Night Owl, Hawk Owl. He took the name of two creatures instead of one. It's like I'm twice the Batman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he has this thing called the Nest, 
and it's which a, is just a cloud. It's just a cloud, a cloud constantly, that's constantly over this mansion. Yeah, as of like you know, like he's moved into thirteen thirteen Mockingbird Lane, where every time they open the gate, there's a thunderstorm, and no one can explain it. Yep. So he's just got this giant cloud and this rocket car that keeps blasting away. Not at all silently. Not like coming out through some secret tunnel. Just drives out and then takes off every day. Like he's like there's an airport back there. Yeah. And he manages to stumble to go ahead and climb in this cloud and falls into <clears throat> the nest and discovers who his adopted father really is. Meanwhile, there's also the thing where the father to kind of give him some structure, send him to a school that treats him like crap and puts him in the remedial program. All he does is get his ass kicked in this school. Constantly. Like, constantly. There's no reason for him to even be in school. Like, you're so rich, just put him in, like, homeschool him. Yeah. If he's going to be your little superhero sidekick toy, just homeschool him. Yeah. Because all he does is get his ass kicked. And then there's a principal there who apparently is this quiet, mild-mannered principal who... Um, I'm going to put a pin in that one real quick. Yeah. He's never been quiet and mild-mannered because he comes out with some of the worst jokes right in episode uh, well, issue two like okay. he's making stupid jokes the secretary's laughing and he's just like oh I'm a hoot aren't I if I can just go ahead and dredge some up oh, please for do. And, uh, All right. well not not necessarily quiet but mild mannered in, in so much that his existence doesn't matter uh, but his, his existence really doesn't matter it's it's god awful like, it, it's there's quite no reason literally, for him to be there he's the Don Knotts of principles but without Don Knotts' humor yeah let me go ahead and there's a faculty meeting at lunch today. Your wife called again, and she's going to a movie with her friends tonight. You're on your own for dinner. This is the secretary talking. Your car won't be ready for another three weeks, so I got you more bus passes. Vice Principal Lazarus has filed a complaint against you with the school board for asking for dismissal, and Jack Danner's newly adopted son is sitting outside waiting for his orientation meeting. Holy smokes, wow. Jack really went and did it. I thought he was just kidding. Some lucky boy really hit the jackpot. Yes, the Jack Danner pot. Oh, snort, Miss Gulp. <laughs> My side's hurting. Ah, <laughs> the Jack Danner pot. Yeah, that pretty, is. That's pretty much how I read it. The entire, the entire humor, not only of just this character, but of the above whole all the characters. It's bad jokes on top of bad jokes, and every single joke too is a simile, as well. Like in like. Issue four, when they finally get to meet with the Ultimates, Thor is dropping like, like man, he hates you like a uh, like a bull hates red, Captain America. It's it's basically just like if bad dad jokes got together and wrote a book, that's the dialogue that would go in that. The book. phalanx of bad dad jokes is just kind of like it's a culmination morphs into something that looks like a writer and can hold a pencil. You know what's really funny? This actually kind of reminds me of if the if the vulture from Get Craven wrote a comic book, that's what he would do. I wonder if that's it. Maybe <laughs> he didn't find success in Hollywood. Maybe he, like Ron Zimmerman, kind of went off and branched off and made friends with Joe Casada and wrote this piece of shit and made me fucking read it. <laughs> we made ourselves read we it. We made ourselves that's, read that, it. And you know what? I don't, I don't apologize for that's that. That's what we do. But I don't apologize for that. If it wasn't this bad, we wouldn't have this much to talk about. But I, I, I think the thing that hurts the most is in my brain, I was like, this wasn't as bad as I th- thought it was. No, it was worse. It was, everyone bashes this, but it was actually pretty good. And then I, I can't not recommend this enough. <laughs> it's 81. Like, if you really want to make sure that someone never reads a comic book again in their life, yeah, and they haven't read a comic book yet, 
make them read this. They will punch mm-hmm. you in the face, and you'll know that your job is done. Yeah. Because... To, they were like, Captain America was here, and he didn't sound like Captain America. Yeah. To, to add to it, so the whole premise of this, because every one of these books has to have some kind of foil for the hero to overcome, and admittedly, <clears throat> if, if they had kept this between the father and the son dynamic and just had him, you know, low-key beat up, like, crooks and criminals... Like, just them building their relationship. Just building their relationship and fighting, like... It would have been a better plot. It still wouldn't have been a good plot because all the snarkiness going on. Yeah, but it would have at least been more interesting if they had kept them, like, not fighting, not trying to give them a Mm supervillain. And they did give them a supervillain. And the supervillain's name is The Principal. That's right. The Principal, after having a really bad day of walking in on his wife cheating because he didn't listen to her and came home (laughs) early... And then she was just like, while still having sex, was just like, go go do something else. Just come I, back I later. I told you not to come early. And, and then the, the guy that she's banging goes out and just beats the hell out of the principal. And then he go, leaves. He comes back later. And then he just kills both of them, I think. Well, before that, he goes to school. And this is like the really dumb thing because the hero always has to have a, a thing in it. So he comes to school and it's right at the same time. That at this point, uh, the the boy is on to Jack's secret and stuff oh, like that. Oh yeah, and Go so on. he's trying to t- to t- drop like meet him at school and pick him up before the, he has to ride the bus and get beat up again. And he's talking to him, and Principal comes out at the same time, and he's all up in in arms. And Principal's just trying to calm him down, he's like that's no way to talk to someone. And he just turns around and decks the Principal and knocks the guy out. He hits the stairs and has like a concussion. And then wakes up from the hospital and goes nuts. And not only does he go nuts, but he discovers a here untold ability to suddenly create anything he wants in the shape of a paddle. Yep. So he has a paddle Corporal saw. Corporal punishment. Like, it's got... Suddenly he went from being a guy who's literally the only ability was to, to be really snarky dad jokes to suddenly being able to create anything he wants... As long as it's in the shape of the paddle because of the corporate punishment, that was his big shit. And it's not like he kept it under wraps, too. Like, the news was on on it. Like, they were all talking about it, and no one was doing anything. Like, he still had his job. And he was going in just, like, killing teachers and murdering, like, anyone who stood in his way. And his secretary... And he was dousing everyone with gasoline in one scene, and the secretary turned into, like, Batman Arkham Asylum Harley Quinn. Yeah. Just out of nowhere, she broke bad, and she's like, I'll never leave by your side. Like... Always just uh, agrees with him on everything, and she's actually better at it than him. Yeah, which is really bad because I'm kind of curious to see what her backstory was because she was just like a secretary that loved made, his jokes, like really, really loved his jokes, like willing to fight and break laws and go to jail for these jokes. And then he gets hoodlums out of nowhere, despite the fact that he was punishing all of these. No, kids. no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't the hoodlums that he got. Remember, because he killed that one teacher that fell asleep in class. Was it the so he like kids? got all the remedial kids on his side, and the remedial kids were the ones that were like his hoodlums. So he was like That's the right. master of the remedial kids because I guess they really liked all the shit that he was doing and loved the fact that he was like dousing everyone with gasoline and was going to light everyone on fire. Which all of this happens in the last two issues. The first four issues are just, just bullshit. Crap. Yeah. Like there's no character development. Don't think it's even close to character development. And and none of this goes the way you want. The hero doesn't really come through in a successful way. The the kid. It, it doesn't even lead to the uh, them being a, like a team in so much so except for literally the last page was where this payoff happens yeah um which i guess is like ron zimmerman's thing of like haha surprise they do become heroes because this whole after this whole thing comes through and 
the boy fails, the superhero fails, his backup fails, his backup's backup kind of fail. Then they finally get lucky and stop this one principal with remedial kids. And it, meanwhile, previous to this, this guy's like a ninja. He's taking out like drug dealers. They're listing he's everyone. The, he's of one of the best fighters. I think he's one of the said, best. Like, he went fighters. and trained with everybody. Like he uh, that one night he took out a drug dealer. He like stopped a, like a terrorist attack and like he did six different things that affected the world. And then he came back and then he's getting his ass handed to him by a principal with a paddle that's never fought a day in his life. And it puts him in in the hospital. So when like well, uh, it, Hank as Woody goes out to do it, or like Tolliver. His, his, like, Alfred leaves to go ahead and, like, take care of the guy. Like, Tolliver, this badass who also trained with him this whole time, also gets taken off off panel and is hung up and is just, like, being zapped by this, like, the, only the thing, paddle. The only thing is, like, he took out all these dudes, but then, like, these are regular hoodlums. Like, these are just bad yeah. kids in, like, Letterman's jackets <laughs> that charge at him. And he wasn't able to take any of them out. He's t- captured by the principal and chained up and has no escape strategy and just gets, like, burnt to a crisp. And then the guy, even though he said he's going to kill him, doesn't and just delivers him onto the porch. Yeah. So after this all is said and done, they beat the principal and he goes to jail, presumably. Because Woody, Hank, as Woody, the sidekick, was able to, like, grab the whip out of his hand and, like, Apparently the paddle was where all of his power, power was right, because yeah. as soon as that pow- paddle went, like he got his ass stomped, yeah, big time by like owls, yeah, and then <laughs> called on owls. Well, they were still f- the heroes were still getting knocked. I'm getting tired just thinking about what I read, but yeah, there's so much we didn't go into either because it's, there were so many like bits that were just one and done like the that aunt- had huge impacts of the story or would have had huge impacts of the story if it stuck to anything that is well said. like the relationship between the aunt being there unnecessarily but then taking charge how the father the priest father Joe was in on this all along or about how like the. Uh, the driver who we see in one panel in the first issue is apparently this really badass ninja like that trained with him, Tolliver, the butler, and... Essentially, they're Kato. Danny, yeah. Essentially, like... And he speaks in, like, a really offensive, like, Asian accent, too. Like, at first he starts off as, like, the really smart, like, doesn't speak a lot Asian that's just like, mm-hmm. And then he comes through at the end with... I, did, I had to go back into earlier issues. He was there for a bit, him. and he doesn't say anything. He just stands there the whole time, and he kind of does that little wink nod, like full of logic and then all of a sudden he becomes like this big chatterbox that like gives all exposition on their entire background yeah and okay for starters I still have to address the fact that he nicknamed his kid Woody that was the nickname he came up with for um Hawk Owl yeah even the kid was like I'm not being called Woody but then he does mm-hmm. and then he's like uh, after they their, their first adventure he's like I don't want to do this anymore good because you're not going to do this anymore no that's what I said I don't want to do this anymore you're good, you're not going to do this anymore. And then there's like, but maybe I want to do it. And then the aunt comes and says, he's not doing this. Oh, we're on the same page. He's not doing it. And, and sure then enough, do it. then they do a callback. The only thing that's on there, and I guess that's a little crisis of continuity, um, runner-up, not really going to count it, was the Zorro premiere at the, uh, at the end and the kid coming out with his two parents all dolled up, even though this is modern time, but they're dressed like they're just coming out of like a 1940s revival. Which... Uh, where has the Zorro movie been playing with a <laughs> in kid a theater and, and anywhere? It's going down the thing. So they basically saved Batman and Ra- uh, Batman yeah. from becoming Batman, and that's Zimmerman's wink to like, aha, my heroes were first and they're better. No, 
they weren't. Oh. Uh, so that now we didn't talk about Mr. Miyagi, did we? No, that that comes to our one of our little awards. I think we should just get to the awards yeah. and just put this thing out of Mr. Misery. It's like a horse of the lame leg. Let's just get it done. Oh god. <laughs> so like we covered before, like our golden colonel, uh, we're talking about the art, the covers, the cover stock. That's where it ends. Yeah, that's it. Right? The Nugget Pagredo, co- amazing. The artwork Paul Mounts, amazing. It's just it's amazing. There's so much versatility in the covers. Um, admittedly, the first one didn't sell me, but the other ones that came in later did. Um, the artwork in there is great. There's a lot of like full panel shots of the hero that look really cool. Like if you were into art and you were like buying comic books just for inspiration, there's a lot to work with. Even the faces and stuff were kind of really well done and everything. And then we have our first crisis in continuity. First our, award. Post Golden Colonel, yeah. Christ and Continuity. Now I gave the runner-up, which was um, <laughs> the Batman thing. The, ba- the Batman send-off at the end, but um, our real Crisis and Continuity, as is the Zimmerman way, is the Ultimates. Once again, he introduces already established characters and does not know how to write them. It, there is nothing about this that is at all ultimate. No, not even. Like, um, I think the closest it gets was there was a little banter between the Wasp and Giant Man. That was That kind of, like, gave a nod to the fact that Giant Man tried to fucking kill her. Yeah. <laughs> and and, but it was, all, it was all still, like, treated in jest. Because even yeah. at one part, she's like, well, you can kiss my butt. And then they're taking bets on whether or not um, freaking... Uh, Captain America can kick uh, Hawk Owl's butt. And didn't Hawk Owl like kick Captain America's butt in this? Well, here's. Here, but no, it was Giant Man split them up. Yeah, here's the the whole premise. So while these two, um, while Hawk Owl and his ward, um, still not Woody, but like Hank Kipple was his name, um, while and Jack Danner's Night Owl, while Jack and Hank Kipple are having their nice, nice little talk, um, in comes this freaking plane uh and it's the freaking ultimates and apparently they're on official orders from nick fury which is kind of weird because i mean i know they, they work for nick fury but they weren't his bitches or Aaron boys yeah but here they come flying all this way the entire team of ultimates to invite to hawk a, owl not invite to join but to recruit because yeah. they basically didn't give him an option they're like nick fury wants you you're in the ultimates and he's like you're the best damn hand-to-hand combat fighter we've ever seen and we'd like you to join and then the whole time he's just like fuck yeah like just, He's like, fuck you, I don't work in groups. I do my own thing. And they're like, but you don't understand. Nick Fury told you to do it. And he's like, well, I don't give a fuck. Fuck you. <laughs> Nick Fury can kiss thing. my feathered ass. Yeah, and, then, <laughs> like, and, this set, and this sets off Captain America. Now, here's the thing. I know that in the Ultimates universe, Captain America was very much... They, they, they really swung wide on his whole portrayal as, like, man out of time. So a lot of his views were outdated. He's very much a military man and very much a man's man. And if he has the orders, thing. then he follows through. And if he him. has orders, he follows through <clears> and he <throat> doesn't take any guff from anyone. So that I remember that being it. But however, I don't recall him being like the poster child for the Republican Party, like Hawkeye was painting him. And that's where I was like, I don't think you quite understood who you're writing. Yeah. Because all he got is, here's a dude that follows letters to the T. Not why he does it, but that he does. And then let's just make him a voice for the conservatives. Meanwhile, we've got Hawkeye, who's clearly my guy, and he's for the Liberal Party, and he wants to do things his way. But here's the Gestapo telling you, no, it has to be done this way and only this way. Which is why I didn't like the way he wrote that. And then Thor is just 
laughing it off. Thor doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything. He just laughs it off, and he's the comic, kind of the comedy relief, where he's just like, this guy's great. I love him, just because he's being a dick to Captain America. Yeah. Iron Man is sitting there... But then again, like, Thor in the Ultimates universe, he was a super liberal character. Like, he was a hippie that was just, like, getting drunk when they found him out. Yeah. That's uh, how his whole origin came through with uh, Ultimates. But still, it's just, like, these these characters are just, like, background dressing. There's nothing to it. No, like, like I said, the only thing that even slightly rung true was the whole exchange between Hank and the Wasp. But... Even that wasn't really anything to write home about. Yeah, and then the whole thing was, um, like I said, Bruce uh, Tony Stark was sitting there just taking jabs for no reason, even though he's as rich as this guy, if not completely richer. Um, And he uh, makes a a comment about how he hates the helmet. That was (laughs) was pretty funny. That was actually the only time that I chuckled and I thought it might get better because the whole thing is Hank Kipple, who is... The annoying, sassy, badly written orphan just looks at Iron Man, and this is Mach One Ultimate Iron Man, where he looked like it was a very bulky armor. Yeah, the faceplate was very. Which much I personally think like is one of my favorite Iron Man armors. I honestly liked it because it was a, such a change from the wearing full-on suit. Like this looked more yep. like something you would see on a spaceship or like <clears throat> as like an astronaut yeah. armor. It was so, so well designed. So he goes like. What's up with the voice, man? Are you even a human being in there? And Thor just goes, ha! And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm a guy in here. He's like, I've got to design a better suit. And I think shortly after this is like when he switched over where the ultimate Iron Man looked a lot more like the regular mainstream where he mm-hmm. started using armor. But I honestly liked how the original take on Iron Man was that he would create a suit that was somewhat grounded in what an Iron Man suit would look like in our world. It wouldn't look like a tight-fitting like body armor suit it would look tactical and bulky yeah um i mean that's what the magic was of like all of brian hitch's designs for it it's like everything looks so tactical everything looks so real world um and you know Fregredo nails it in this one too like there were times like especially with paul mounts doing colors that i was just like this is perfect you could sub these guys in on an ultimates comic by mark miller and i wouldn't bat an eye with it but yeah, so that's that wraps up that crisis and continuity. There's no way, no. no way, this even comes close to it. This felt like like you were writing like an all ages comic, and then all of a sudden the hero showed up and just started talking. Like it was a like a 1960s like superhero TV show. Just a bad cameo, which again goes back with my theory that Bendis was probably never allowed in a room with Zimmerman because look, he had the Ultimates for all of like four pages and they were god awful depictions of yeah. what the ultimates were and you couldn't mess them up because quite literally they were the avengers with attitude that's their whole thing mm-hmm. and he couldn't get the humor right he just it just fell flat because they were just jerks the whole time kind of didn't want to i wouldn't blame him either i wouldn't want to join any of them but then again he started off acting like a jerk he didn't even wait to get retu- recruited he was just like get out leave yeah that was like, it that was it so that was it then we have the award for should have swiped left, and I think which that, are the romances that uh, should have never happened no. whatsoever. We're looking at the principal and the secretary. Now, the secretary—I don't even think she was given a name. I think was it she was Ms. just like Miss Willow. I think was her actual name, name, but she never had like a villain name. Or she anything. never. She was never given a villain name. But then again, he went by the principal. He was never given his nom de plume. He just kept referring himself as principal. Well, the principal was his villain name. He was the principal, and he en- enacted corporal punishment with his amazing buzzsaw, 
paddle but that like, could it, shock people but into you a bunch that, of other like things. none of the heroes called him the principal they were just like Morgan stop this knock this off yeah so like he never really officially came out but he just he stopped referring to himself as like puny Morgan yeah he went all in on the principal but she very much was just Miss Willow the a diehard femme fatale assistant who was actually the only successful thing like if she really wanted to break bad she'd have a career as a supervillain she I think she was a secret supervillain she had to have been before she jumped into because this. Because she literally had the ability to get the drop on heroes time and time again. Every one of the battles, the hero comes in, beats the crap out of the principal, starts beating the crap out of the henchmen, and she just comes up behind them like, surprise! Mm-hmm. They never see her coming. Even after she's done it to them at least three different occasions, she still gets the drop on them until the end. The birds are the thing that evens them out. They have to call backup from the birds to take care of the, of the female. Yeah. And even then, I don't even think she gets taken out, does she? I think they just acknowledge... Maybe it was just like... They just stopped acknowledging that she was You there saw the birds fly in, then it was just like, yeah, that must have taken care of her, and that was yeah, it. Yeah, and that was it. But I'm trying to find, like, there was a, like, the name of the school bus he was driving, because he, he had, like, a villain mobile. It was called the Bookmobile. Yeah. And he converted a school bus into his villainous uh, vehicle, and it was called the Bookmobile. And that was it. So that that's... Man... And, and There's so much low-hanging fruit here. It was so bad. And then our fantastic uh, fizzle reel. Uh, the fantastic fizzles. This is uh, given to the worst character or character moment in all of this. This undoubtedly goes to the principal. It was just low-hanging fruit. They didn't even dwell on his instability. Nothing like that. There was no character development whatsoever. He just had a really mm. bad day. Like, kind of day that you would actually have as an old person. Like, it's, it doesn't even qualify as, like, the Joker bad day where, like, your wife gets electrocuted after you bomb out in comedy and are forced to take, like, a robbery. No, no. Like, he went home early, caught his wife cheating, got beat up by the guy that was still doing her. And then he came back, tried to break up a fight at school, got punched by, by one orphan like with a main right yeah. a right hook, and hit the hit the thing, and was like unconscious and in the hospital. Then he immediately went back and killed his wife and the the guy who he, he she was stupid. Yeah, and then despite the fact that he had never shown any like anger towards the school as a whole, in fact, he, everything was peachy keen at the school, except for the fact that like clearly the school was run badly. Yeah. And so he starts taking out teachers, setting them on fire, recruiting the remedial students. In fact, the only thing that kind of shows that he was a vil- had villainous intent was when Hank went to the school and gave him so much sass. And he's like, well, you know, you're my friend's, like, uh, adopted child. He- he's also really, really rich. It's like, what do you want to do? Well, I'll let you do anything you want. And he's like, I want you to stuff it. That's what I want you to do. Shut up. And he's like, you should really not be mean to me. He's like, what are you going to do? No, really, you shouldn't be mean to me. Ah, stuff it, old man. Puts him in remedial class to get beat up every day. That's literally the... But then we get we get some background into why he's so mad at Danny. And that's because when Danny was the head of, like, the basketball team... He was, like, the he water was the boy. water boy. That was it. Him and the... There was a picture that came in a, that supposedly explained everything where Ralph the Hawk, or the owl, comes back with a picture of just, like, Danny Tolliver... And then, like, Lee, the principal the, in the back. And no, Lee was in there, too. Was all Lee in three there? of them were, because they all three of them, this is their origin story, all three of them were trained 
And there, uh, this actually technically falls under Crisis and Continuity or just Ron Zimmerman's bad cameos. Actually, Ron Zimmerman gets his own category. Bad cameos. Because <laughs> that's been plastered through all of them, and I feel that we should end it on a bad cameo. And his bad cameo is that effectively, the groundskeeper, who looks suspiciously like Mr. Miyagi, but with a much more like messed up attitude, trained all three of these boys because the aunt who had adopted... Him and uh, Tolliver from the orphanage didn't know what to do. She was at her wit's end. She was about ready to send them to military school. And the guy's like, I'll raise them along with my boy. They're just going to live out in their shed with me. Their shed is, of course, like a glorious beach house. Yeah. And And then what does he do with it? He hangs them upside down by trees with cinder blocks hanging from their wrists. That was actually the second funniest moment (laughs) when they're hanging there. And it's like, what are you going to do? I got it. We'll smash the brick together. That'll do it. They smash the bricks together. Great. Now we just got to climb up and untie the things. Are your arms broken too? Yeah. Everyone's had dislocated <laughs> arms. <laughs> that was, that the, those were the two. F- In six pages, there were two jokes that landed. Two. Well, I, I will say this too, because this will actually come into play later when we talk about a later. Uh, oh God, it burns. Um, there was one where Hawk Owl was saving a guy at like a tech store, and then he's just like, "Good." Are you, are you okay? It was just like, here, take this, man. You get a million free hours of AOL. That's true. That, by the way, the disc was true. And if you guys were back then, you get it. But this also ties into like the whole DC rivalry because at this time they were calling DC Comics AOL Comics. Yeah. So it was like a slight dig at them, just being like, it's so devalued that like this one disc, you have to beg someone to take a million hours of internet from them. And with that, we close the chapter on these uh, ultimate adventures, which on a scale of, oh, God, it burns, to, oh, God, it burns, was just like, I can't feel my legs anymore because it singed off, like, all the nerves this is like, below my ankles. This is like that scene in freaking the third prequel movie, I want to say Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. With the freaking volcano. Where they're having the battle, and then he just gets beat up, and he's like on fire, and, and he's laying on there, and, 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 and he's trying to. Crawl. That's what this is. <laughs> this is the ultimate burn adventures. That's what that is. You're just on fire, just trying to plow your way through it, and each step is more painful than the last as you're burning. Oh God! But at least we had good art. So with this, we're putting a cap on this. We're closing the chapter. Let's go ahead and jump into our recommendations. Bruno, I'll let you go first. All right. Uh, for this, this definitely, uh, I have to do two recommendations. The first one, and I'm sure if you're a comic book fan, you've read it, but it always bears another read. Is uh, you can't talk about the Ultimate Universe without talking about Brian Michael Bendis and his mm-hmm. amazing Spider-Man run. Oh, we've already talked about it. He writes good kids, yeah. which this was not. Yeah. So he wrote, and it's well, actually I think it's record-winning because he wrote over 160 issues. Well, it was him and Bagley were the same I mean, art on a mainstream comic. Like, they went for I think it was 111 issues. That's what it was. Whereas Stan and Jack, they did 103. But Bendis was in it the whole time. So even after Bagley up and, and left. Bendis stayed with it all the way until it got rebooted and became the story of Miles Morales, and it was Ultimate Spider-Man, um, it was Ultimate Comics, Ultimate Spider-Man, and that was his whole run, and I think that went for, like, another 30 issues before Cataclysm happened and everything went to crap. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Bendis- and even that, after that, like, in the, the mainstream Marvel Universe, like, they brought Miles Morales into there, and he wrote it for a stretch before he went to DC, too, like... 
He when he got to Marvel, like the first thing he was hired for was Ultimate Spider-Man. Okay. Or I think he did like the the Daredevil and if like you... Wake with uh with um David Mack I think was but this is like the first thing he got really hired for and the first big name thing he did and it was the very last thing he did when he left too. So his whole tenure, his whole like 10 plus year tenure at Marvel, he was writing Ultimate Spider-Man. And the best part of it was if you want to see a character because this is basically is Batman and Robin come to the Marvel universe. So mm-hmm. if you want to see a take on an established character but redone and done well, it's it's Bendis's Spider-Man run. However, I do have a second recommendation that's more akin to this. Um, having read this, I could see where a lot of the things were going through, especially knowing right off the bat after the principal walked in that, and had his bad day that he was going to be the arc villain. If you want to read a good storyline of a Batman comic book redone, um, like or a take on a Batman comic book, it's Supreme Power, the Nighthawk miniseries that introduces Nighthawk's... Um, villain uh whiteface yeah and uh quick little recap uh, it was uh, written by daniel way art by steve dillon so it's frequent punisher collaborator and also preacher co-creator yeah so definitely there's a lot of parallels to reading that and just instantly drawing back images of um garth anus's runs um and the comic book is in every way it's, it does what zimmerman can never do which is write a comic book that looks like a Garth Ennis comic book because of the frequent collaborator, but reads like a Garth Ennis comic book. And it's really great because in this, um, in the Supreme Power universe, the they have a character that's called uh, Night, uh, Nighthawk. Nighthawk. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Nighthawk, in this particular case, is a um, same story as Batman, but he's an African American. Mm-hmm. So he takes it upon himself uh, to address, more than anything, hate crimes. So it's very topical, um, and then there's in this particular one, it starts off that as his career like trajectory is growing, and because initially, you know, he was kept to himself and low level and kind of like the urban legend, but now with supreme power, he's starting to work with them and he's getting some notoriety. So it's um, it was uh, Daniel Way's take on the Batman Joker relationship. So he created his own Joker, which was this insane um serial killer that was catatonic for years and upon hearing like the broadcast of like nighthawk and all this stuff that's going on he gets up and walks out around the the mental hospital kills a clown puts on his like clothes and walks out but keeps the clown makeup going and then he proceeds to just like start killing like all the people that nighthawk has like saved targets um at one point he um tries to kill a baby nighthawk saves the baby and then he kills the person that nighthawk left with baby with and then tries to kill the baby and it's it's brutal it's, it's really disturbing it's, it's it's like garth ennis copycat done right yeah. like i couldn't even say it's a copycat because the, the thing about garth ennis is like yeah it's super extreme but he plays on stuff that are really disturbing at like a visceral level yeah and he just like kind of draws out like the really disgusting side of humanity yeah and then sometimes he makes it super funny with it, or sometimes he gets super dirty with it. Um, but this is like Wade doing it, and just doing it pitch perfect. 
Yeah, it's um, it's great because it covers things like race. There's the po- uh, politics of it. Um, the character has very strict philosophy, but never kind of hits you over the head with it. And there's real stakes on the line. You feel like this every issue the story was going somewhere, and every time that they had an interaction, you just wanted to see where it happened. So it was, not only is it a great take on a Batman uh, uh, knockoff character, let's call it that. But it's also a really great take on a villain and a, the relationship between Batman, you know, the Batman uh, knockoff and the villain, which is something that this didn't have. There was no, yeah. there was no stakes in this at all, other than will my adopted ward like me? That was really what this six issues of Ultimate Adventures was about. And honestly, that alone is not enough to keep people coming. It wasn't. And uh, with my recommendations, I've got a few, and all of them are based off of Duncan Fergredo. Now, he did a lot of work with Hellboy. Uh, he was actually the first uh, regular artist that took over Hellboy after that, but I honestly have never read Hellboy. So some of you might know him best as that, but uh, my favorites from him, uh, if you want to get something more superhero-ish, he did the Flowers for Rhino story and. Tangled Web, which I talked a little bit about last episode when we gave our recommendations for that. Absolutely, if you want to see like Dunk for Grado at his best, that. And he also did like another uh, one where someone was becoming a superhero with a I Was a Teenage Frogman. Yes. Which was, I believe, issue number 12 of Spider Man Tangled Web. And both of those were done super well and also fitting with the tone that I believe this was trying to go for. It was funny. It had humor, but also had a lot of heart that went with it. It was very poignant in both of them. Mm -hmm. But like uh, another one that I want to give off to is if you go back and look at his earlier work as well, it's some of the most game-changing stuff. In fact, like his work with Peter Milligan, who was the guy who wrote Flowers for Rhino, was among some of my favorite collaborations that he's done. Uh, He did this one uh, superhero comic called Enigma, which I believe is one of the first actual published under the Vertigo banner. I'm not even sure if Vertigo was a thing when it first came out, but that was one of those things that was published that really bumped it up. And if you want to see like some really, really strong impressionist artwork, that's where you go to because he's a lot more loose with it and he's uh, kind of channeling David Mack and Bill Sienkiewicz with it. And it's by far one of my favorite stories I've ever read and probably topped only by his work with Peter Milligan again on this one shot called Face which is this really disturbing look at, uh, what is it? Out of like a, a plastic surgery culture where there's like really eccentric doctors on an island and they fly them out to go ahead and get like plastic surgery done and it turns into this really disturbing horror story. And it's one of my favorite things ever. So my recommendation is checking out any of those things by Duncan Vergredo. You've got his work on Tangled Web and his work in Vertigo. And I know he's done a couple more things, uh, but really those are the ones that stand out to me the most. And I would like you to check those out. So uh, would you, Bruno, recommend anyone reading Ultimate Adventures? No. <laughs> no. And um, like I, I stand by my comment that if you wanted someone to never read a comic book ever again, give them that series as a gift and you know, watch it. But I, I stand by it if you want some decent artwork, though. Like if you're, mm-hmm. if you're the kind of person that likes to sketch good action shots and stuff like that. I mean, honestly, you could probably sketch a couple of those and pass it off as your own. Because <laughs> truthfully, no one will read this crap and be like, wow, I remember that. You bit off of them. Nobody will claim. Just will. like the people who read Get Craven and started the Me Too movement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could definitely pass this off as your own and be like, all right. But yeah, I wouldn't recommend yeah, it. Yeah, I this. would recommend this for the, the biggest gluttons for punishment. 
Like, if yeah. you really, really enjoy watching a stand-up comedian just fall flat on their fucking face on stage, this is what you want to read because this is nothing but, like, someone bombing on stage and then running it down with good artwork. So with that being said, we have ended our Ron Zimmer month here on... Oh, God, it burns! Next week, when we come back, we're actually going to be wrapping the whole thing up. We're going to be doing a rundown of our impressions of Ron Zimmerman. Uh, just a quick one, but... This is interesting. We ended on Ultimate Adventures because it does tie into a larger uh, <laughs> initiative that in itself was so fucking stupid that it kind of deserves a nod in its own yes. uh, uh, in its own episode before we jump into like the coup de gras of what the whole thing was, culminating in Marvel starting up epic so that was the marvel you decide uh so if you want to come back to hear all that stuff i hope to see you back on the next episode we'll be covering ron zimmerman's our impressions as a whole getting into you decide and setting up whatever the fuck comes after it because i can't even i can't even put it into words (laughs) what comes after this it's gonna be great and it'll definitely be more bearable than this so in the meantime my name is nick and I am the terror that flaps his mouth in the dark, but occasionally call me Bruno. And this has been Oh God It Burns. We'll see you next time. So in the meantime, good night and Felice Navidad.